Today is February 15th, 2021. We hope you had a beautiful Valentine's Day filled with dark chocolate and many bouquets of flowers, of course. Today, I'd like to share some information though that may not be so new anymore, but for some people, it may be new. It's about hypertension chronotherapy. An article published in AAFP News in November 2019 explains that taking hypertension medication at bedtime improves cardiovascular risk. Excellent. So for those who like languages, chronotherapy. Chronos means time and therapy treatment. So this has to do with the timing of the medications. So this was a large prospective study that compared taking medications at bedtime versus taking medications in the morning. It was called the Hygia Chronotherapy Trial. It was originally published in October 2019 in the European Heart Journal. The study was conducted in Spain. Olé! And involved almost 20,000 patients with hypertension who were divided into two groups. One group took all their hypertension medications at bedtime, and another group took all their hypertension medications in the morning. In the next six years, 1,752 participants experienced cardiovascular-related deaths, myocardial infarction, coronary revascularization, heart failure, or stroke. And the good news is that the bedtime medication group showed an improved blood pressure control and lower risk than the morning medication group. So taking blood pressure medications at bedtime dropped the death rate by, listen to this, dropped the death rate by 45%. Incidents of myocardial infarction, stroke, and heart failure were all significantly reduced. Taking thiazides at bedtime may be challenging, but on the bright side, the study also found that moving only one medication to bedtime is still beneficial. So maybe the early bird doesn't always catch the worm in this case. This is Rio Bravo Q Week, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program from Bakersfield, California. Our program is affiliated with UCLA and sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home. Hello, residents. Uh, welcome to another episode of our podcast. And I have today a very nice guest. You might recognize her voice because she has recorded some things for us in several episodes, especially in our recent episode about menopause. So we welcome Valerie Civelli again. It's a pleasure to have you here. Valerie, thank you for staying a little longer in clinic today. It's been a long day with a lot of work, but I'm glad that you stayed with us. So a random question is, what is the farthest place you have visited? Wow. Uh, thanks for having me on, Dr. Ariaza. Um, the farthest place I visited, I have to give a shout out to my um, motherland of Malta, which is a tiny island in the Mediterranean. 
And they speak Italian there. Italian, they speak right? Italian, Maltese, mm-hmm. Arabic, uh, so several languages. Family there? Family? I do. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've been there twice. No wonder your last name, Civelli. Civelli. Okay, nice. <laughs> so, Dr. Civelli, what are we going to be talking today? I'm talking about today. We are talking about emotional support animals. Great. So, emotional support animals or ESA, right? Yes. Um, it's a good way to abbreviate it, ESA. Um, this is a really important topic um, because we do have so many patients that are on medication. So, this is a good alternative to think about. Um, so, many people with disabilities will use a service animal in order to fully participate in their daily life. So this is a great option for them um, because dogs can be trained to perform many important tasks. Um, And this can be, you know, assisting with um, stability um, or, you know, say picking up items for somebody in a wheelchair or even preventing a kid with, um, say, autism from wandering away. Uh, Even somebody with hearing loss that is being approached from behind, the dog can alert. So um, uh, emotional support animals, is that like a service animal? Service animals and emotional support animals are not the same. Thanks for correcting me. (laughs) (laughs) So be sure to notice the difference. Um, According to the APA, which is the American Psychology Association, um, the species can can be for an emotional support animal. um, Can be any kind of any kind of animal, right? Yeah, any kind of animal. So, I mean, honestly, I guess we could even have a lizard or a llama. Um, but whatever brings, um, somebody that emotional support to help them with improved coping skills is, um, considered therapeutic. Okay. But under federal law, only dogs are considered service animals? Exactly. So service animals are different and under federal law, only dogs or, I love this part, miniature horses can be service animals. Oh, great. So I know there are several cases that have made it to the news, to the headlines, national news. One of the case, one of the cases was actually in 2020, in February. This story went viral online. So it was about one year ago. Her name was Veronica Frost. She flew from Michigan to Ontario, California with her service animal, who is a miniature horse. I kind of love that. <laughs> Her, uh, the the horse's name the the full name is Freckle but Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Freckle but Fred. Yeah, but Fred for short. So they traveled together in first class, and the picture that she took and she posted online, the picture went viral, and it created you know positive and negative comments among travelers and people in the internet. So miniature horses, miniature horses were approved as service animals in 2011 by the ADA or the Americans with Disability Act. Okay. Um, well, for an emotional support animal, um, this would be assistance of just emotions um, alone. Um, a service animal is specifically trained to perform tasks for somebody with a disability, right? So, um, but the training for an emotional support animal requires no training at all. Um, and typically, as a provider, we would just um, produce a letter to help explain the therapeutic value, um, whereas service animals must go, undergo specialized training. And that could be by um, a trainer who is experienced in providing that um, that 
um, that service or the um, owner themselves can train the animal. Okay, so the support animal, they just need to be there. They don't have to do anything. Exactly. And the service animals, they have to be trained. Yes, okay. to do a per, um, like a specific task. Okay, that makes sense. So animals for sure generate a reaction in humans whenever they enter a room. You know, when whenever you see a dog or another animal entering a place, it generates that reaction. So tell us about the legal protections that uh, service animals have. Sure, and I know my reaction is definitely going to be, oh, I love it so much. Um, everyone does not have the same reaction. Um, legally, though, while the American with Disabilities Act, ADA, protects service animals, it does not cover emotional support animals. Emotional support animals are covered only under the Air Carrier Access and Fair Housing Act, which, um, you know, it still provides some coverage. So keep in mind the criteria of mental or emotional disability, which is defined in the DSM-5 by the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, and the Fair Housing Act and the Rehabilitation Act, as well as the Air Carrier Access Act. Okay, so I have here some quotes about animals. So an animal's eyes uh, have the power to speak a great language. So that was... Uh, told by Martin Buber and, and um, yeah I, th I think that's a great quote because sometimes we don't realize that animals can actually communicate a lot through their eyes and um, so what where can services service animals go Dr. Civelli where can they go so a service animal can go anywhere the owner goes so while owners of emotional support animals may get away with bringing them into places where pets are not allowed, the only places legally required to welcome them are aircraft, where they fly for free in the main cabin and housing units. So we're talking about the service animal, but not necessarily the emotional support animals, right? Um, yeah, so the service animal can, th there's no restrictions whatsoever, okay. none whatsoever. Um, even if it's a restaurant, um, salad bar line. Okay, so they can go anywhere the owner goes. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Fred, a little horse friend, <laughs> uh, he went, you know, in the in the plane in the first the first class. However, Fred probably had his last flight last year because the U.S. Department of Transportation or DOT now allows only service dogs to fly with their human owners in an airplane. So, what, is, what I read is that it's required by law to accept dogs. The other animals, they can travel with you as emotional support animals depending on the airline. The airline, For example, I know Southwest, they allow uh, emotional support animals on board, uh, but they don't allow horses anymore. Sorry. That's really sad. I was excited to maybe one day see a miniature horse in first <laughs> class. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Civelli, now let's talk about the letter, the letter that you're mentioning. Okay, yeah, let's talk about the ESA letters because um, this definitely pertains to us and our jobs as providers. So they can be written by any licensed mental health professional, such as a therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist, um, or um, PCPs um, and PEs as well, anybody in primary care. Um, and it should state that pet therapy is an important part of your treatment plan. So to get an ESA letter you must consult professionals who are authorized to prescribe emotional support animal letters in your area. Um, so like we just mentioned, a PCP, 
a psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed therapist may um, provide that letter. Yeah, I think I've I've done one of those letters before for people, at least once, maybe more. I think we need more. Yeah. So elements that should be included in the ESA letter, you know, it must be clearly uh, stated on the letter that the patient suffers from a mental illness that can be managed by an emotional support animal, and it should be on proper letterhead, among other things. Yes, and those other things that must be included... Um, so the licensed person's name and signature is required, the license number, date of the license, the state where the license is issued, um, the date of the letter, um, the state, the patient's name, date of birth, pet details is optional, but I think it's helpful. Um, and then Although it's not required every year to update this letter, I think it's helpful for the patient just to have the date current. Okay, so let's pretend that uh, you decide, you, Dr. Sibeli, I know that you have a dog. I decide, do, that decide, the, What's his name? Jax. Jax, okay. Mm -hmm. Let's pretend that you, take, you decide to take Jax to the museum. So what questions can employees ask, ask you to determine if your dog is a service animal or an emotional support animal or just a pet? Sure. So in situations where it's not obvious that the dog is a service animal, staff may only ask two specific questions. Is the dog a service animal required because of a disability? And number two, what work or task has the dog been trained to perform? Uh, they're not allowed to ask, um, you know, do you have documentation of this? Is um, Let me see your paperwork. They can't say that. Um, you know, they can't ask, hey, can you show me, can you prove that your dog is able to perform the, trisk, the, the trick that you're, or the, um, the task? Um, you know, they're not allowed to ask that either. Um, or they can't inquire about the nature of the person's disability. Those are all um, federally not allowed. Okay, so only two questions. Mm -hmm. Wow, so only if the, the dog, if the dog is required for disability and if the if the dog is trained to do something specific for you. Yes, and what, what can they do? Okay. But they can't say, okay, show me, um, prove that your dog is trained to do this task. You mm -hmm. cannot be asked that. Okay. So do you know if the service animals, they have to wear a vest or a patch or a special ID? That's a great question. No, the ADA does not require service animals to wear a vest, ID tag, or specific harness or produce any paperwork at any time. That's great. So, you know, um, in our clinic, we see a lot of patients with anxiety. You know, it's, it's a very prevalent condition in our community in general. So especially during these times of pandemic. So if someone has a dog who comes who comes then when having an anxiety attack, you know, that that's disqualify as a service animal or as a support animal? Well, Dr. Ariaza, it just depends. The ADA makes a distinction between psychiatric service animals and emotional support animals. Uh, so if the dog has been trained to sense that an anxiety attack is about to happen and it will take a specific action to avoid the attack or lessen the impact, or, um, you know, or provide some alert, um, then that would qualify as a service animal. 
Um, but if the dog is just um, in the presence of the owner and it provides comfort, um, a therapy of that emotional support, then it's um, considered to be a um, emotional support animal under the ADA. Okay. So there is a difference in that in that case. Yes. So a sample letter is provided in our website, guys. You can see it on our website. But also there is a dot phrase that I created in Epic. Just typed dot Rio Bravo ESA and a letter will pop up in your in your Epic. So you can use it now. Oh, so really Dr. Civelli, you can uh, give us a, an explanation of a sample letter that you have. Okay, so a simple letter you could title the top is emotional support animal with the date on the side and then uh, I put the breed. Um, so you could say it's a dog, golden retriever. Um, and then you can put the dog's name or the animal's name and then to whom it may concern. You could say um, patient's name is currently a patient receiving care at our facility. I am familiar with his or her medical history and with her functional limitations. This person meets the criteria of mental or emotional disability as defined in the DSM, uh, the ADA, the Fair Housing Act, the Rehabilitation Act, etc. Um, this individual has certain limitations associated to social interactions and coping with stressful situations. And so in the next paragraph, you could say to enable his or her ability to live independently and alleviate these difficulties, uh, the patient's name has an emotional support animal. The ESA is necessary to mitigate symptoms experienced. In this setting of airline travel and or hotel stay, please allow him or her to have the ESA accompanied by her or him at all times. Okay, and then you can sign it sincerely, Dr. Civelli. And then you put your license number there and, the, you know, it's Medical Board of California. And then you leave, um, you know, your contact information there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good job, Dr. Civelli. I think this is a very good topic to talk about um, service animals. I know that Dr. Stewart, she's a big fan of, of, her, uh, of her dogs. You know, she has two dogs. I oh, know she has three. Three. And I know Dr. Civelli, she has one. And how old is your dog? Jax is about three years old. Okay. Well, uh, tell us about him, what kind of dog he is. He's a Yorkshire Terrier. He's about five pounds. And um, right now he has a super cute haircut, which looks like a skirt. So my husband doesn't love it. <laughs> but I think it's, it's called a schnauzer cut and it's very popular right now. <laughs> okay. So I'm a big fan. I love dogs. I grew up with dogs. But I'm allergic to dogs. So um, I'm looking forward to getting immunotherapy to be able to have my, my dog in the future. I don't know when. I highly recommend the Yorkies because they're all pretty much the same with their personalities. And you will not be disappointed. And they're hypoallergenic. Definitely. <laughs> I'll, I'll consider a, jerk, uh, a Yorkie for myself. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Civelli. And um, I hope you have a wonderful night. Thanks so much, Dr. Ariasa. See you again soon. See you guys. Bye-bye. And here we are with the question of the month. Uh, you remember that we asked this question a few weeks ago, and it's about diabetes management. And we have Dr. Ikena, who is going to present the winner. How do you say your last name, Dr. Ikena? It's pronounced Wosu. Excellent. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Ike. 
a first year resident and I'm filling in for Dr. Carranza, who normally hosts the question of the month. We are happy to inform that we have a winner. Her name is Lubna Nasir. We chose her answer because it's the most accurate and concise of all the answers. All right. Now, the question that was given was, what is the first treatment approach for type 2 diabetes mellitus? For example, for a patient who had polydipsia, polyuria for a few weeks and at your office had a random blood sugar of 210. Now, let's call our winner. So the first treatment approach for this patient includes diabetes education, intensive lifestyle modification, and hemoglobin A1C measurement. Diabetes education. Participation in a comprehensive diabetes self-management education program to learn more about the disease, glucose monitoring, management, and complication. Intensive lifestyle modification. Nutrition, physical activity, and weight reduction. Nutrition should be based on foods who are low in carbs, include proteins, and good fats. Physical activity, focusing on aerobic exercise, 150 minutes weekly or more, at least three days per week, and persistent training with free weights or weight machines, two till three sessions per week. Hemoglobin A1C measurement, to determine if the patient needs to start treatment with metformin and or medications for diabetes, including insulin if indicated. Good morning or afternoon or wherever you are. This is For Your Sanity, our little joke compilation, and this is Dr. Saito. So, this is our 40th episode, so we're going to talk about some jokes related to, to 40. This this hits a little close to home for some of us. 40 is the perfect age. Old enough to recognize your mistakes, but young enough to keep on making them. 40, it's fun until it happens to you. You know you're 40 when... When it's no longer the hairs on your head that are gray. You know you're 40 when you have a party and the neighbors don't even realize it. You know you're 40 when someone offers you a seat on the bus and you don't refuse it. Now we conclude our episode number 40, Emotional Support Animals. Dr. Savelli explained that emotional support animals are companions to provide comfort to patients, but they do not have a particular skill and do not need training. We congratulate Lubna for her concise answer about diabetes management. Diabetes is the bread and butter of primary care. You gotta learn diabetes if you want to make a positive impact in your community. We'll bring you another question next week. Remember, even without trying, Every night you go to bed being a little wiser. Thank you for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency at clinicaservista.org or visit our website riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. This podcast was created with educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. This week, we thank Hector Ariaza, Ariana Lundquist, Valerie Savelli, Claudia Carranza, and Ikena Nuosu. Audio by Sarajam Rutya. See you next week. <laughs>